a recent leadership lesson that I've learned is to have the tough conversations and have them as soon as you can. I guess my biggest leadership lesson will be around delegating, but it's about setting clear boundaries, expectations from people and not falling into the area of, I guess, when it, you've been, your kindness is taken for weakness. That everyone has imposter syndrome and, and it's real and it's okay. Hello and welcome to Management Today's Leadership Lessons podcast. I'm Kate McGee, the editor of Management Today. And I'm Ailish Cronin, staff writer at Management Today. So the big news from us this week is that our 35 women under 35 list has been revealed. As the country's longest running and most prestigious list of young female business talent, our goal is to showcase the remarkable stories of women who are changing the game. Previous winners include Stella McCartney, Dido Harding, Martha Lane Fox and Karen Blackett. So huge thanks to our 13 judges for giving up their time and energy to judge the awards. We invited the winners to a photo shoot at the University Women's Club a couple of weeks ago, and I'm sure you can see the pictures on our website right now. And you will also meet some of the winners later on this episode. Ailish, do you want to talk us through what happens? Yes, this week we held our first roundtable episode featuring three members of this year's 35 Women Under 35 list. These highly successful women discuss the challenges that future businesses will face, some of the characteristics of a successful leader, and they also give their take on whether we will ever achieve a more equitable workplace. It was brilliant to get so many of the winners together in one place at the photo shoot a couple of weeks ago. Great to meet all the talent and have some really fascinating conversations about you know, the future direction of business and people's kind of careers and the kind of challenges they may, may or not have faced and the uh, imposter syndrome raising its um, perennial head. Yes. We've just had a huge debate about that in the office. Ailish, how did you find the photo shoot day? I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, it was amazing to uh, to be in a room with so many successful young women and made me feel incredibly insecure <laughs> about my own achievements. Um, Resist the imposter syndrome. Resist I know, it. yes. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was so interesting to hear them sort of talk amongst each other and a lot of networking was going on, lots of sharing of LinkedIn details. I even heard people talk about, yeah, we can work on this project together and I'll let you know about this. So lots of emails exchanged and talking about how they can work together in the future. But there was a lot of talk about the challenges that they've faced in their careers. And one of the things that I heard brought up quite a lot was the issues surrounding parental leave and it being quite a huge barrier to success or maybe not necessarily a barrier but a hindrance along the way because I think the, the burden of childcare is still very much on the woman regardless of whether both her and her partner are successful in their own careers successful in business perhaps they're both business people there's still that expectation for the woman to sort of drop everything and rush to pick the kids up from school or rush to sort out any kind of childcare or home life issues even though she's just as invested in her career as perhaps her husband or her partner there's still that burden of expectation and a lot of what was discussed about moving towards this idea of offering a more equitable parental leave, you know, not just fostering a culture where it's normal for dads to go out and drop everything rather than giving their wife a call and asking her to do it, but also having specific workplace legislation 
offering that equitable parental leave so it is easier for the husband to go out and sort out those childcare issues and it not be a black mark against his name. But it's also there's a there's a huge societal issue there as well. It's not just within the workplace. That's something that we've seen in society in general. But it was interesting that that was a that was something that I heard discussed quite a lot and the trials and tribulations of juggling childcare and being a successful businesswoman. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, there are lots of dads that are very invested and will drop things and will take up an equal part in the childcare. But I think this is the theory that the norms that are set when a child comes into the family happen when a woman is off and off on maternity leave. Mm. And if men and women are taking equal share of parental leave, that it kind of creates a more equal distribution of the work. It's interesting that paternity leave has come in and yet the take-up of it is incredibly low. Mm. And I think that says a lot about the kind of culture that's set by businesses, well, and society generally, mm. but you know, businesses have got a part to play in this in allowing men to feel that they can take that up. They're not going to be penalized by Mm. taking it up and I think this is where we talk a lot about gender expectations and norms in the workforce and whenever any gender is um, behaving in a way that might not you know adhere to what is expected Mm. of their gender there's a penalty for that Mm. and we talk about that a lot in a kind of female context Mm. but you know men equally suffer from this and so the idea that if a man asks for flexible working or asks to kind of go part-time or take up paternity leave, mm. then they're more likely to be penalised than a woman maybe for mm. asking the same thing because the expectation is that mm. the, the woman will do that and the man is sort of is not expected to do that. So mm. therefore, they might see you know fewer promotions or you know seem to be less invested in their career mm. in a way that that might not be seen in the other way. So it's definitely a really interesting debate as well as the networking. There was a lot of discussion about the kind of future of business. Obviously, AI raised its head. I think I was struck by the number of people from different industries mm. as well and how it was kind of kind of a broad picture mm. um, across the industry. And I thought that was really interesting. The topic of AI did come up a lot during the discussions on the day of the photo shoot, but it's something that is also will be talked a lot about in more detail in the second half of the podcast, talking about the emergence of new technologies and how leaders should be embracing them and not running from them and how embracing them actually can make your business more successful in the future. But again, that'll be talked a lot about in more detail in the second half of the podcast. So keep listening. The other big project that we released this week is our investigation into what we're calling the corporate world's dirty secret. It's written by Samir Jaraj. It's looking into the fact that ransomware attacks are booming. Most UK businesses are not suitably protected from cyber threats. They're lacking effective crisis plans and the majority are ending up paying the ransoms, which in turn makes them targets for repeated attacks. Um, And so there's this sort of secret panic gripping corporate Britain. It's something that's going to kind of continue to grow as digital transformation continues to accelerate. And in the UK last year, attacks jumped by 112% on the previous year. That's according to the Global Cyber Attack Trends Report by Sonic Wall. And collectively, UK businesses are paying out tens of millions of pounds in ransom payments. The interesting thing is nobody wants to actually talk about it. There's this sort of sense of cyber shame and it's leading most businesses to sort of keep quiet on the attacks or the ransoms and sort of hide the payments on their balance sheets, often under headings like professional services, payments, etc. I think in particular, what I found interesting about the piece was this threat that businesses are under of triple extortion from cyber criminals. This works as follows. First, the company will lose their data. Secondly, the data could be sold on via the dark web and used against it. 
particularly if it's sensitive information and it could be subject to enforcement action for data breaches by the authorities. And then finally, the attackers could also launch denial of service attacks. So once you let somebody into your system, there is a lot of damage that they can do. And it's not just limited to you know, losing your access in the first place. I also found it fascinating looking at the cyber criminals are becoming increasingly professional and adopting models that actually mirror those of some tech companies. So there's this sort of growing emergence of ransomware as a service, which allows sort of the architects of a hack to outsource different parts of an attack to specialist groups, making the attack kind of more, more dangerous. If that's of interest to any listeners, I would encourage you to go to our website and read our series called The Big Hack, which will explain more about how to find out how these attacks happen, why and how companies become targets and also an exclusive interview with a senior leader who had to steer his company through a hack himself. And now we'll get onto the discussion with our 35 Women Under 35 winners. Hello and welcome to Management Today's first roundtable episode. As you heard from earlier in the episode, I'm Ailish Cronin, staff writer at Management Today, and I'm joined by three winners of MT's 35 Women Under 35, which champions women in senior leadership positions across all areas of the business world, from investing and climate technology to wellness and beauty and healthcare advertising. Each of them has achieved extraordinary things in a remarkably short period of time, and they still have more to accomplish. You can check out all 35 winners on our website. I have three speakers with me today to discuss the challenges they think the next generation of leaders will face, the qualities future leaders will need, and whether we will ever achieve a more equitable workplace. First off, we have Chloe Bodley joining us from Pertemps Professional Recruitment. Hi there, I'm Chloe Bodley, Operations Director at Pertemps Professional Recruitment. I've been with the business for just over five years now and yeah, growing into the role of Operations Director after being promoted from Operations Manager. Fantastic. Next, we have Hannah Campbell from 112 Agency. Hello, so I am the co-founder and managing director of 112 Agency. 112 Agency is a cultural and influencer marketing agency, and we've been going for about 14 months now. Brilliant. And last but not least, we have Alice Roper from Talentful. Hi, I'm Alice. I'm the managing director of Talentful. We're an embedded recruitment service working with scaling tech companies. I've been with the business for over seven years, and uh, we're on a growing trajectory. Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. The pandemic has fundamentally altered almost every aspect of the world of work, and leaders have had to rapidly adapt to hybrid working, new technologies, and the often conflicting needs of different generations in the workplace. While we cannot predict what the future will hold, many of these trends will continue to impact the way businesses are run. So, I'd like to start off by asking you all to describe some of these particular trends or challenges that the next generation of leaders will face. I think one of the biggest challenges, especially, I think for everyone actually, is AI. I know it's on everyone's lips and everyone's talking about it. I actually just came back from Can Lion Creator Festival last week and all of the keynote speakers were discussing um, AI. And I think that there is quite a lot of concern about AI taking our jobs. I think as leaders, what we need to be aware of is it's not necessarily that AI will take our jobs, but it's that the people who can effectively use AI will be in a much better position than those who can't. So as leaders, I think one of the biggest challenges coming up is the fact that 
we need to understand AI, understand how to use it to stay competitive, but also equip our teams to be able to use it as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's all about sort of embracing that change, not seeing it as something that we should be terrified of. I think it's about embracing it, seeing the opportunities. Yeah, I think we need to respond and reflect and make sure that we have the right talent on board but run with it and grow with the changes rather than being scared of them. But yeah, from a leadership perspective, it is, it's about making sure that we're always planning for the future, embracing it and going with it rather than against it. I think that the second challenge is also around the multi-generational workforce as well that we're going to need to, to manage going forward. We've obviously got an, an aging workforce, but we've got a whole new generation coming through and that confidence that they bring as well, which is, is fantastic. A lot of young leaders coming through and a lot of really ambitious young people in the, in the next generation. It's trying to combine the two different styles. And I think there may be sort of um, contradicting business expectations from both sides. So it's a matter of kind of pulling them together and moving moving together as a, as a one. Yeah totally agree with that I think also it's building the trust and loyalty because the aspirations have completely shifted through the generations right and actually particularly in in tech for instance where there's been a lot of layoffs recently and so actually in the last four years or so we've gone from a real talent shortage and I think we still have a talent shortage but actually people's perception of what they're going to get from a company is now changing and there's no you know, the tenure is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So where we've gone for the baby boomers generation, where you get your Rolex if you stay for 50 years, to now it's like 18 months. And actually, you know, with frequent layoffs and, you know, reevaluating what the employee value proposition is, it's really difficult to actually engage and make sure that remote working is also going to be a complex area that we need to look into so how do you build that loyalty that trust and make sure that your your people are actually engaged and want to grow within your business so at 112 agency we recently actually we did a podcast about the fact that there are now five generations in the workplace from gen z all the way up to the silent generation and it's really interesting because you know we were talking about the point that yes we've got people who you know they got their job and they stayed in that job for ages and then you've got millennials which is where i would say i kind of sit where like, you know, we kind of moved jobs every two to three years to kind of climb quite quickly. But then you've got now Gen Z. So we've been trying to recruit recently. And so, and we've got like on their CVs, they've been at a place three months, six months. And it's like, mm, what do we do here? You know, how do we know if they've got the skills to, to, to actually do a role? Have they stayed there long enough to build those skills? Or have they just jumped before they've had a chance to really build the necessary skills? So it's really difficult actually to understand how to recruit the younger generation especially in what we do, which is influencer marketing, it's very much led by Gen Z and millennials. So we do need that young talent. But how do we, how do we know if they're, the right, if they're the right talent because they've, they've jumped jobs so much? So it's a real challenge, I think, for everyone, really. I think that's when you start looking at skills-based hiring. And I, I was probably, I was going to talk about that in one of the other questions, but about and making sure that you're not just doing it on qualifications and you're not just talking about the traditional CV scope it's actually understanding what the core competencies are of what you're looking for and particularly if you're a smaller business and you're growing and you're scaling you're going to need different experiences at different times you don't need someone who's gone through an IPO at series A stage for instance and actually you need someone who's more adaptable and there's that kind of adaptability quotient that I think particularly in this environment we need to be looking at where 
you know, you've got your IQ, you've got your EQ. And then I think this adaptability piece is super important because if someone is smart and, and they've, they're empathetic and they understand the ways of work and they can, they've got curiosity and a self-learning, there's so many other qualities that you can get, which you don't have to have the tick box. I have got a degree from here and all the rest. I mean, that's completely out the window. And now we need to educate our hiring managers and our leaders to actually understand, okay, this person doesn't. And I think I, I totally agree with you, Hannah. It's really tricky if someone's only got six months experience, but do they show the core competencies to grow within your business and actually to really flourish? And, and also we've got to be okay with people leaving at certain points as well and, and not be so emotional about it. And that, that's a big learning for me, but <laughs> over the years. Um, but yeah, I, I think the skills-based hiring is where we, it comes into that area. Yeah, agree. Brilliant. So thinking about the future leaders who are going to be faced with these challenges, what qualities will they need to succeed as a leader? Yeah, I think it, it flows on from, from what we were just speaking about before. And it is, it's about, um, I think the key things are really leading with empathy of being authentic and kindness, understanding the expectations of who you're working with. I think obviously times have changed. There's no longer a sort of authoritarian approach to leadership. It is more about understanding people working in different ways to get the best out of them. Um, but I do think that, yeah, kindness um, and empathy is at the core of what leaders need to uh, progress with. I agree with all that Chloe said, but to kind of dive in on the empathy side of things, I think that understanding people's backgrounds, their differences, people should be able to bring their whole selves to work. And so the only way that they can do that is if they have more empathetic leaders. I think thinking about things like equity is important as well. Understanding where people are in meeting and where they are and being able to bring them to where they should be or where they need to be to do their role is super important. Yeah, I'm in full hearted agreement with both of you. That kind of inclusivity piece, I think, is so important and understanding. I mean, we're just on the beginning of this road, aren't we, in terms of really understanding what our workforce looks like, kind of what we talked about earlier, but also where we're going and, and that inclusive part of it. So, yeah, I think you've got, to, you've got to create a collaborative environment where people can really blossom and grow. Otherwise, it's just not going to work or you're not going to have such a diverse and successful team. I guess the only other thing is about being resilient. Uh, we talk about the changing world. It is about being resilient to those change, adapting to change and basically going with the times. But also it's, it's challenging. We know that there's a number of challenges out there. So it's about how we tackle those challenges and, and most importantly, being resilient um, to those changes. So what can leaders do now to prepare their businesses for what's coming down the line? Can each of you give just maybe one or two examples of things that leaders should be getting on with now to help future-proof their business? This is the skill-based hiring <laughs> that I wanted to kind of talk about because I think it's so imperative that we educate our whole business on how to hire effectively you know we really forget sometimes that people are majoritively at the core of our business okay we talked about AI but actually making sure that our teams and are really growing within the business and there's so many benefits you can get from skills-based hiring from just a broad talent pool to performance and adaptability the inclusivity part 
And I think that's an area that we all need to be really looking at now and understanding, okay, what are the core competencies that we need within our businesses? Make sure we actually need them. And it's not just an ego driven role. And actually make sure that we're hiring the right people who can have so much impact within your business. Yeah, so I agree with Alice in terms of the um, skills based hiring, but also to go a bit further than that in terms of specific generations. So as I mentioned earlier, we a lot of where we sit is within Gen Z, Gen Z, and we are hiring in that space a lot. And I think one of the things that we need to, and I suppose businesses across the board, that's the next generation coming through, right? So understanding what Gen Z care about and what makes them want to be loyal to a company. And it's very different to things of the past. So whereas before, you know, millennials, we talk about kind of toxic productivity, where it's all about kind of earning really well, company benefits, the holiday rewards trips when, you, when you've done really well and then hit target and that kind of thing. Whereas with Gen Z, they care about the world's problems. They're the most diverse generation yet. And also they believe in, they care deeply about inclusion. And if you as a leader kind of don't understand their values and what they care about, then, you know, it's very difficult to keep them engaged. It's very difficult to keep them kind of wanting to be loyal to a company and wanting to grow within your company. So it's about shifting the mindset to understand what this new generation coming through, what they care about and how as a leader, you can you know make their work experience the best it can be i completely agree i think it is it's about listening as well to what people actually want so i think quite often we can make assumptions or see things from our own viewpoint but it is it's about listening to others what they value what they see as an incentive how to drive them how to get the best out of them it all comes from listening understanding it and really wholeheartedly going with the people and understanding everything that they're after to make the the right changes rather than making tokenistic uh, changes that we think people want. From a technology perspective, do you think AI is important in this respect? I think leaders need to be understanding how AI affects their industries from now, the the productivity in terms of how their staff work. It just needs to be at the top and centre really of how businesses are moving forward because I think if they're not considering it, they'll be left behind and I think it's going to be a massive issue in terms of competitiveness to ensure that actually you have your AI agenda, whatever that looks like, sorted from now. Is there anything that you think leaders waste a lot of time doing that perhaps they don't need to spend so much time on? I will probably put my hands up that I am one of these people who um, I love a meeting. (laughs) And actually, I've had to learn the hard way that meetings aren't always the best thing. And you have to learn how to be asynchronous, particularly in a global team. And you could be far more effective and succinct working asynchronously. So I think too many meetings is a really easy trap to fall into. (laughs) I think it's probably about spending too much time focusing on the negative and again I put my hand up on this sometimes I spend far too much time trying to fix things when actually you need to look at the bigger picture the bigger strategic direction of the business to understand where your priorities should be and focus more on the positives and grow things forward from the positives rather than trying to fix things that perhaps don't need to be fixed or they're not worth the time and they should be sidelined and your energy should be focused elsewhere. So I put my hands up to this. I think control for me. So control and, and not delegating things that should be delegated. I spend far too much time doing that. I think as the kind of founder of the business, it's kind of like now that there's people in the team, it's like I don't have to do everything anymore. And it's actually just giving people the responsibility and kind of letting go a bit of the tasks that I'm so used to doing. Um, I'm wasting a lot of time currently doing things that I probably shouldn't be 
And yeah, I assume that, you know, there's probably other leaders out there doing the same thing. I wanted to ask you all, what is your best time management hack? I'm a big list person. Everything is, is listed and I do whatever I can to set reminders for myself, prioritise. I always like to have a, a list at the start of the day. Not often it ends that I've done everything on my list because a hundred other things might have been added. So it's about constantly prioritising through those lists, but it's just to make sure that I keep on top of everything. I also like to start slightly earlier than the rest of my team, just to get a bit of headspace in the morning to get my priorities set. Quite often it's a hectic environment, so I like to just be able to have a bit of headspace to get my everything aligned before everyone else comes on board and number of requests and conversations start happening. I love a list. I think I'm an old school pad and paper kind of girl. <laughs> but from a techie perspective, there is a tool that I use called Superpowered, which has changed my world, particularly because I'm in back to back meetings all the time. It pops up and gives you a countdown. You can then press on that button and it takes you immediately to the Zoom or the Google Meet or whatever um, tool that you're using. And it has actually been quite transformational in terms of me turning up on time and being prepared and having everything in my ducks in a row, as it were. So that's probably <laughs> been my biggest time hack. I really have started using the Eisenhower matrix, which is essentially to categorise things into urgency, importance, and, and then deciding what to do with it. So do you do it now? Do you schedule it? Do you delegate it? Or do you get rid of it? And that has completely changed the way I work in the last few months. Now I can look at my day and my list and be like, okay, this is the urgent task that needs to be done. This I'm going to delegate. This I can schedule to do next week. Whereas before, when I had a long list, I would feel like some of the things that could have been delegated or scheduled, I'd be doing first. And actually, that's not that important um, or urgent. Brilliant. So now on to our final discussion point. Do you think that the world of work will be a more equitable place in the future? And if not, how do you think businesses can get there? I think it is becoming an equitable place. I think there's been a lot of development made uh, when we look back in time. However, I still think there's a lot of growth there. But I do, I'm a really avid believer that it will happen. I believe in my lifetime, we'll definitely get to an equitable place. I think there's a number of amazing female trailblazers coming through. I think there's also now we are working in partnership with men as well. And there's also men who are avidly supporting women and believe in equity as well, which is fantastic that we're all on the same page. I think the world of sport has actually played a massive part of becoming more equitable all around, particularly in the business space, but we can learn from what's happening within the sports side of things. So the lionesses, the women's rugby, uh, the cricket, there's been some fantastic stories around how everything is developing. So I really believe that, that we will get there, uh, but I think we've still got a lot of work to do. Uh, it's about embracing um, the whole equitable piece, really. It's about believing it wholeheartedly without, again, it's not being tokenistic. It is actually living it and believing it and having those themes and those values running through business. My response is probably a bit more negative than Chloe's, unfortunately. I do think that massive strides have been taken to make the workplace more equitable. I speak from a place of being a woman and a woman of colour. So as a woman, I do think I agree with Chloe, things are a lot more equitable. You can see that in, you know, the figures in terms of the gap in wages are slightly reducing between women and men. 
we're, we're kind of heading in the right direction. Things like companies ensuring that parental leave is equal between men and women and, and that kind of thing. I think equitable in terms of any other protected characteristic, probably not. In terms of race, I don't think so. I can speak specifically of the industry that I'm in, which is marketing media. Research has shown that actually there's been a decline in things being equitable for people of colour, with more people than ever wanting to leave the marketing um, and media space because of the things that they're going through in that space. So I, I think for women in general, yes, I think in our lifetime we'll get there. I think for people of colour, not sure. I think in terms of what, what businesses can do to help us get there, it would be having honest conversations with employees, actually just asking them, how can we help you to make this an equitable environment, an inclusive environment? What can we do? Where at? And that's for everyone across the board. It's not just for women or people of colour. It's for people from you know working class backgrounds who may not have had the same education or mentorship that people from other class backgrounds may have had. It's all of these things to look across the board. That's how you truly make things equitable. Meet people where they are and, and get them, ask them, how can we help to get you to where you want or need to be? Yeah. That's that's really sad. That's sad. And I, I think that's yeah. I think also from a business perspective, I think it's just an awareness, isn't it, of that inclusivity piece. And it's, again, training everyone across the business and being authentic about who you are and making sure you are inclusive. You know, so there's things like unconscious bias training that you could do to really make sure, like, particularly when you're hiring people in, but also when you, how to retain, to your point, Hannah, how to retain great people and, and, and make sure that they flourish within your business and setting them up for success. I think what COVID did force was like flexible working where traditionally you had folks going into businesses five days a week, actually with uh, flexible working, you're enabling parents or, you know, people who may be neurodivergent or have other areas of concern that they have that area of flexibility, which is really important. So to round up this discussion, can I ask each of you to very briefly give us your leadership lesson? A recent leadership lesson that I've learned is to have the tough conversations and have them as soon as you can. I think that when you have those tough conversations, whether it's with, you know, chasing an invoice that needs to be paid to you, whether it's that you can't afford to pay an invoice, whether it's that, you know, you've got a certain team member whose performance is not up to par, having those tough conversations early, it stops any kind of room for questioning or uncertainty. Everyone knows where they stand. And actually, people trust you more as a leader because they know that, you're going to let them know if there is kind of rocky waters. I do think, obviously, as a leader, you still do need to have a certain element of protecting people from what they don't need to know necessarily. But I do think having tough conversations when it's called for and having them confidently is important as a leader. I guess my biggest leadership lesson will be around delegating. I know Hannah mentioned it earlier, but it's about setting clear boundaries, expectations from people and not falling into the area of, I guess, when it, you're being, your kindness is taken for weakness. It is about delegating, setting clear expectations and boundaries and having a, a firm and fair and authentic approach to leadership that everyone has imposter syndrome and and it's real and it's okay and it's more about understanding where it's coming from and that actually 
you can build confidence with the team around you by talking through problems, by taking people on this journey. You don't have to make all the difficult decisions yourself. And Hannah, I totally agree as well with the, the kind of rip the plaster off approach in terms of having those difficult conversations. But And you won't always be liked because you've got to make those difficult decisions. But be authentic, be human, be true to yourself. And it normally turns out to be the right decision. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Management Today's Leadership Lessons podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. We're available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts.